Hello and welcome to The Sporty Scoop, a podcast made by Queen students for Queen students talking all things sport on campus and in the wider sporting world. My name is Lauren McCann and on today's show I chat with Lauren Fullback Tomas Cosgrove about his Irish league career to date. I'll also be joined by sports journalist Josh Bunting to discuss Northern Ireland's controversial World Cup qualifying game against Switzerland and the dramatic Women's County Antrim Cup final at the weekend. As ever, we'll have a news roundup of Northern Irish sport, which you may have missed at the weekend. So I'm now joined by Lauren Fridback, Tomas Cosgrove. Tomas, it's great to have you on the show. And I just want to know, first of all, what have you made of your club start to the season so far? It's been pretty good, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to be here. And um, yeah, it's it's been pretty good. I think we're a bit, a bit disappointed. Um, we drew against Carrick at home and we, we should be winning the game like that. Uh, no offence to Carrick or anything, but they've done well. They've done well this season, so we're just a bit disappointed. And then the the game at Seaview, I think we let ourselves down. So, yeah, but all in all, good. If we win here on Saturday against Limbaugh, you can go top, so you can't really complain. Yeah, it's really tight so far at the top of the league. Obviously, Cliff and Miller up there. But, you know, you've had fans back in the ground for the first time, you know, a full Inver Park. How integral have their return been to your good start to the campaign? Oh, it's been it's been massive. Say it'd be massive for every club. Um, it just makes the games more interesting, brings a bit of atmosphere to them. Um, I think it ups players' uh, performances as well people cheering them on and stuff so you even see it in the top leagues in England and stuff you're watching someone again and just they look dead but just a bit of fans is, is brilliant for the league and it's probably good for both mental health here as well getting out on the Saturday and it's the wee routines back together Yeah you know especially watching the Friday night game Lauren against Coleraine it looked unbelievable under the lights at Ember Park and you know having away fans back in as well I'm sure it was an unbelievable game as it was but that definitely must have added to the atmosphere of course, yeah, under the lights, any game under the lights, don't know what it is, just just seems to, to make it better. And Inver's a special place under the lights, so yeah, and Coleraine bring a massive crowd, so it just it made it, it made it good. And then two teams going at each other, attacking football, it was a recipe for success, I think. Yeah, and you know, one of the players that had a huge part to play in that game was Ben Doherty. You know, he came in in the summer along with the likes of Kofi Balmer, Kieran Bulger and Navin Nazari, and they've all seemed to settle quite quickly. Do you think they've kind of raised the standards at the club with regards to competing for places? You know, you have a really big squad now and the fight there to stay in once you get the chance seems to be, you know, really quite difficult. Yeah, well, the commend on there, they all had uh, great debuts at that night, but yeah, as you say, people come in, you're you're fighting for places. No one's guaranteed their spot in, in any team, and Lawrence the same. Um, the the sad thing about football, people move on, and other people come in. We've lost the likes of Marty and stuff. It's a huge blow, but other people come in and they have to up their game, and people around them have to up their game, and that seemed to happen when a new guy comes into the team. Yeah, and in the summer, obviously, before the league started, you had that amazing run in Europe. It was the club's first ever European campaign. Can you really sum it up at the games, you know, especially against your Danish opposition? You know, it was just absolutely unbelievable watching from afar. What was it like to be part of? No, it was brilliant. The the, the Bala game, we expected to win. Um, we got the Welsh team, no disrespect. That was an even playing field. We were, we were expecting to win and win. But when we got the... The Danish team, where we're like a different kettle of fish, and and you're playing in Inver, and you, you somehow go in front, but couldn't believe it. And then 
we were we we're kind of arguing with each other at the end of the game, we let in a sloppy goal, and then when you go out there, I think everything just fell in the place, and everything worked for us, and we just seemed somehow to get free, and then you end up getting a team like Pacos as well, and it just changes the whole setup for Lauren, and it's massive for the club. Yeah, and you know how beneficial do you think that run in Europe was to kind of starting the momentum? You know, you kind of had pre-season quite early then and then going straight into the league. Do you think your positive results in Europe have kind of inspired a positive start to the season in the league? Yeah, well, the the atmosphere around the club and the town, it's the first time they've ever been in Europe and you've seen it was massive for the place. Um, people come out and you're watching football on a summer night and you're watching teams like, are you going to the Danish team and you're watching that team play Tottenham? It's it's massive for the the club and that's what they're aspiring to be and hopefully that can be a regular occurrence. Yeah, and you know the club recently in the last few years has switched to a full time model. How's that been for you personally? And as a club, I'm sure it's really you know it's driven you up the league as we've seen last season and kind of just play, working in a full time environment, you're able to work on more things in training and stuff and it shows on the pitch with the kind of football you like to play. Has it really benefited you and those around you at the club? I think it, it benefits um, your ta- in technique ways. It benefits a lot in, in fitness. Uh, well, the fitness aspect, most of the teams are free nights anyway here. So I, I think it's drove the league up by us going full-time, crews more or less going full-time, Linfield, Glenthorn, every team's starting to, to go full-time and it, it's massive for the league. Um, for me personally, it's helped me a lot. Um, you just, you be more professional. I know it's hard to say when you're part-time, you're at Clem most of you were trying, you're trying to do it as best you can, but you're going to work and stuff and you're coming back and you're probably eating the biggest load of rubbish. Um, trying to feel your body when you're going to do a game. It, it is tiring and it's sore in, in the body, but now you can recover proper and we're learning new stuff all the time from Mick Boyd and people like that. So it is massive. Yeah, and looking back to last season, you know, how do you kind of assess the campaign from a personal and a collective point of view? Obviously, you had a really good run up to Christmas. And then after lockdown and when football came back, you kind of struggled a wee bit. Do you think that kind of derailed your push for the title? Uh, personal note, I, I enjoyed it. I, I played some really good football, but as uh, a team, uh, I would be disappointed. Um, as you say, we were, we were right there, right to the end. And we're... We threw it away in the last last couple of games. We come back from lockdown, and as you say, I don't know. I don't want to make excuses to send it to push us off it or or anything like that. I think we we probably needed a few more bodies in uh, to help us. We had a lot of injuries, and I don't know. You never know what could have happened, but it's just one of those. I I was very disappointed of how we ended it. We, we, sorry, the middle, the end was good. We had a good run, and the Irish Cup was disappointing, obviously, but. The middle from about January, two months, we just couldn't get a win. Yeah, and you know, before that, you'd obviously won the County Antrim Shield, the first you know major piece of silverware in the club's history for quite a long time. How momentous was that for not only the players but for the town as well? You know what you've been building under Tiernan had kind of been, you know, you were waiting for this moment to win some silverware. How important was it to get that one off the back? That said, a huge monkey off the back. Everyone's when are they going to do this? When are they going to? That's all. You, that's all we hear. We hear it all the time. You need it. They need a win. They need a win. So it was massive for the the club, and I didn't even realize at the time that it hasn't been so long since the last one a piece of silverware. So it was good, but it's a bit disappointing because there was no fans allowed in the ground. So it was it was a weird atmosphere. It was dead. I'm sure it was the same for the Glenthorne boys. You won it. There was a wee cheer. You walked in, got pizza, and walked home like nothing happened. It was 
it was a weird atmosphere. So hopefully this year around we can we can bring something back with uh, a lot of fans there. Yeah, did the celebrations after beating Cliftonville and the European playoff kind of make up for that disappointment of not having anybody there for the County Antrim Shield? Because I was unfortunately at that game as a Cliftonville fan and, you know, I don't want to admit it, but it was a great atmosphere after they won and I was walking home dejected, but everybody there was ecstatic. Yeah, that's it. That's the beauty of football, everyone. There's, there's winners and losers and I think it was a good day. It was there was no hassle between the fans, and that's a that's a brilliant day. It was just a bit of crack every team, but people going for their teams. And as you know, I'm close friends with all in Clumble boys from Matamor, and I bet when it went, then my whole family's going for the, the Clumble team. So <laughs> it was just one of this is one of them. But uh, at least I got I got away with a win. And then, as you said, massive for the club. The celebrations were huge. Um, everyone was delighted, and it just shows what we're working for. And as you say, with a European run. Uh, we got our just rewards. Yeah, and you know, your experience of winning um, the County Antrim Shield and the experience of winning previously at Cliftonville, the trophies, is that kind of whetted your appetite to lift more titles with Lauren? And obviously there's a lot of players within that squad who have lifted league titles and cups with other clubs. Do you think you're all coming together now and you're at that stage of your career where you're really ready to push on and win league titles? Yeah, sure. When, when the team, you, you don't want to win titles no more, you may as well stop playing football. Um, you always want to win and as you said, I've done it with Clemon. I was very young. I probably didn't appreciate it as much when I was younger. And then when you have these few years where you haven't won anything, um, it is it, it does wet my appetite a bit more to win it. I just I'm desperate to win it with Lauren. A team from outside Belfast would be absolutely huge for the area for the club. Um, it would just give everyone the justification of what they've been doing and the hard work, not just the the players and the the staff, the, the volunteers behind the club, the people who've been stuck through the club through freaking Finn. Um, It'd be massive for them and I just hope I can do it for them. Yeah, and what was it that attracted you to Lauren at the time when you were deciding to leave Cliftonville? Obviously, you know, it was seen as quite a shock because they were in the championship, but did you kind of see, were you given, you know, the great plans that they had and was that what part of the reason that attracted you to go there? Yeah, well, the, it was very hard. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a local boy. Cliftonville's my team and uh, I just under Barry Gray I knew my time would come to an end it just we're a great guy we got along but seeing football terms we just didn't see eye to eye and it just happens sometimes unfortunately but I just I, I knew my time was up and uh, a few teams a lot of the Belfast teams were messaging me and stuff and then Marty just went the the Lauren he rang me a few of the Lauren boys were ringing me and I know Tiernan Seamus from my team at Climble they actually brought me to Climble when I was 16 so I seen them I met with them and I met with Kenny and they told me everything was happening, but I didn't, I didn't honestly believe it. And then my dad came to me and he just said, I think you should go here. And thankfully I made the right decision and it's something that I'll never regret because the club has been amazing to me and it's been a great few years so far. Yeah. How amazing has it been to be able to reflect on the journey that they've gone on? Cause you've kind of been there, not from the very start, but from, you know, the early stages when Tiernan was coming in and being in the championship, denied playing in Europe and, you know, competing with the likes of Glenn Tornan and field for the league. I'm sure it's amazing to look back on. And as you said, you didn't believe the plans that they had in place could come to fruition and now they kind of are. No, it's just, when I look back now, um, I think it's only about, I me and Jet, maybe Davey, Davey's just there a couple of months before me. I think it's me, Jeff, and boys of God, they're aware from more or less the start, as you say. And 
the sales go from the championship when you're playing not great at the start of the season. As you say, Korean uh, on a Friday night packed Inver under the lights. It's it's madness how how much the club's changed and it's it's where it needs to be. Um, Lauren is a great place. I I'd be first to admit I would never have been there. Um, post going to Lauren, probably for an out game or going somewhere on the boat, but um, it'd be a place, very beautiful place and all the people are so friendly and the club is where it needs to be and it's massive for the community. You've seen everyone coming out and we do well, so it's brilliant to see. Yeah, and what's it like to work is under Tainan Lynch, Lynch? Sorry, you know, you've worked under him for a few years and as you mentioned, they brought you to Cliffville. What is he like as a manager? Um, no, he's good. He's very good tactically. Um, he, he's dead in those work. He, he, he does a lot of hours behind the scenes of getting we niggly stuff sorted for you but yeah he's brilliant and you have the likes of Seamus his brother and Tim Gary Bayon, the goalkeeping coach and all they're all brilliant and they would all do anything for you when, if you asked it so it is good it's good to be around them all the time and you seem to learn a lot of stuff that stupid it's stupid things but you think you knew but you clearly didn't so it, it's good to learn that way and um, I think I'm better tactically now um what to do on the pitch so yeah it's good yeah and taking it back to Cliftonville you know you were part of such a historic time at the club title winning sides you know having come through the academy as well what was it like to be a part of that I know you said at the time you didn't really appreciate it but looking back now you know how amazing was it to deliver those league titles to the fans and you know having been around the club for so long I'm sure it was an amazing feeling uh honestly unbelievable like the times I had there I'll never forget the day that I am the club were so good to me. And as you said, you're, you're a local boy. Um, I come through the academy, we won the league. It was just it was just the norm. It just felt like normal for me to win, to be winning. And it's when it goes bad, then you start to realise um, how good you had it. Uh, it was incredible. Some, As you see, some of the supporters, they still they keep me in high regards. They give me a bit of stick. They'll probably give me a stick here on Saturday <laughs> when I go back. But it's all, it's all good. It's all good fun. And after the game, they always... They always give me a clap or whatever at the game, but that's just the way it is. And it just showed you how highly funded I fought off. Sorry, the, the boys of that team were to, to bring Silverboard to the club. And I don't think it'll be forgotten. I think it's the the what's called the most dominant team in Clumble's history. So it was brilliant to be part of. And as you said, like just I wish it could have continued a bit more, but they said all the experienced boys were just starting to fade away. They came probably hit their prime all at the same time and just stuff didn't go for us and probably brought in the wrong players but yeah honestly never regret it it was unbelievable unbelievable experience yeah and can you tell us about you know some of the players you played with at Cliffham at the time you know you could go through the whole team the players are just Irish League legends but the likes of Liam Boyce Joe Gormley George McMullen what were they like for you coming through as a young player and getting the witness them probably you know Boyce and Gormley, maybe as they were just breaking through, but George McMullen when he was really in his prime. Like Boyce and um, Joe, everyone everyone speaks about them, but the one for me was George. He was just, um, he was brilliant to me all the time. He always looked out for me and uh, he was unbelievable captain. I'll always say it. He's been the best of, of playing under. When he spoke to you, you listened. He just had that aura about him. And I used to go and watch clipboard games and he was my favourite. And then you're finding out for him for a spot. And what I appreciated, uh, I did preach at this when I was only about 19 coming through and I just got a niggle 
and he came to me. And this is the boy I'm fighting out for a spot with him. He came to me and grabbed me and went, we need you. You need to get back. And I was just like, for me, it's the guy I'm fighting out. It just shows you the the love he had for Klimbo and what he would have done for him to win. So, yeah, he was he was my favourite. Yeah, and, you know, you had some unbelievable games for Cliftonville, but, you know, as a Celtic fan, what was it like to play at Celtic Park against Celtic and just the whole atmosphere around the club at the time? I even remember I was gutted we couldn't get tickets to any of the games at home or away, but it just looked like an absolutely unbelievable experience. Honestly, surreal. Surreal. Looking back, I still can't believe it actually happened. It's just, it's one of them. It's, I was sitting in my mum's house and, my brother comes running and says, he's got Celtic. And I was like, nah, cut enough. And then you're going to play, you're training the Lennoxtown and stuff. And you're playing your boy who, your boy who clubbed the team you've always supported, going there. And as you said, everyone was doing anything to get tickets. And it was just, it'd be something you look back on about 20 years. And like, remember, we went to that game of sun splitting trees and I'm walking down Old Park Avenue. Sally's getting on the bus and I'm walking <laughs> toward the game, the playing a Champions League game. It was surreal and the game over as my uncle said he thought he's been a Celtic fan of his life he said one of the best atmospheres he's been to because just as the friendly nature of both clubs um, just a bit of crack and we knew we were going to get beat he just wanted to go out and put on a, a show but uh, surreal and then he just had Tommy Bresen just telling you to relax and <laughs> do what you gotta do it was class um, What shirt did you come away with after the game surely you had to get a good one uh, I had Samaras my mum stole it on me she, she has it up <laughs> on the wall so I'm not allowed to touch it. <laughs> That's a good one, to be fair. And bring it back like, to your career in the Irish League. What's, who are some of the kind of hardest opponents you've faced and what are some of the toughest away days? Toughest away days is obviously the usual. The usual Belfast clubs save you when they were at, when Crusaders were at their peak, they were Jordan Owens and them boys were just a nightmare to play against. Um, as you can still see, they're very hard and they're on their day. Um, Linfield is always Glens. It's always the away games but um, my hardest opponent you have Heatley and stuff he's a good player um, Cooper a good player but there was a boy Carson he used to play with Cole Rain and Glenn Thorne um, from Scott I think it was no, I forget his name but he'd done on the wing and he could go either foot and I was only coming through when I had to come up against him he, he, he gave me a very hard time and I'll always remember it um, he, was always, he was always good to me after the game as well or, I remember a reserve game, Francis Murphy. Actually, he's been, he was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, unplayable. Yeah, he tortured me out there. And what's kind of the best goal you've scored in your career? If do you have many to choose from or limited supply? There's not too many. Um, probably at Dungannon, uh, I beat about five players and don't even know how I kept the ball and just somehow squirmed it in. Um, that would probably be. Probably my best. I can't even really remember it. The one against Glenn Dorn last season was pretty good as well. The Valley. So, one of them. Don't score many. But they're all right when you do. Don't score toppings. Just bringing it back to Lauren finally. You know, what are your ambitions for the rest of the season? I'm sure an Irish Cup and trying to get revenge after the final last year. And then obviously the league title. They're surely your main aims this year. Every cup, every cup we're involved in, we want to win. Everyone. The club knows that we're not going to pick no bones about it. Um, you have to be going as far as you can in these competitions. Um, the league, yeah, but for me, an Irish Cup, I've been beating three finals. It's just the last thing I need. And <laughs> I would love to do it. I would love to bring a massive trophy back to Lauren. If it's the league, 
so be it. That'll be even better. But uh, when Nice lead uh, Europe, one of one or European adventure, senior won the club. They all they all loved it. So hopefully, something along. The line, hopefully, we can keep a tail race at the end and see where we can go. Anything can happen. Yeah. Um... Obviously, I want to wish you good luck for the rest of the season, but just not on Saturday. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Don't worry, my wee boy. He's already asked me. He, he's looking to do mascot. the commute, but he wants to come out with me with, with our, his Klimbal kit. So everyone's against me. Everyone's against me here. So it's all good. Yeah, Tomas, thanks so much for coming on the show. No really appreciate it. Okay, so I'm now joined by football journalist Josh Bunting. Josh, we'll start with the Northern Ireland game and the controversial talking point from that game was Jamal Lewis's um, setting off after 36 minutes for a second yellow card for apparent time waste. And, you know, how ridiculous is that off, was it? Have you ever seen anything like that in football? Yeah, look, I mean, it's a really, really poor decision. Um, when I was watching the game and... I just couldn't believe it. I, I didn't really know what was happening at, at, at the start. I thought he was the referee was looking at the, the Swiss bench. Um I thought that's what he was doing. Then when I saw him this the second yellow come out for for Jamal Lewis, I couldn't believe it. Seventeen seconds it took for the ball to go out of play and Jamal Lewis to take a throw in. At nil nil in the thirty sixth minute, nobody wastes time. Absolutely nobody. Um I've never seen anything like it in football in terms of that sort of decision for time wasting. I mean, like I say, <laughs> in the thirty sixth minute, nobody nobody wastes time. So I just don't really see how the referee has sort of come to that conclusion that it, that it was a second yellow. And obviously, when Lew- when Jamal Lewis gets sent off, it, it changes the game. It turns the game on its head because Northern Ireland were, were quite solid up until that. I mean, <laughs> they didn't really create anything in, in terms of a real goal scorer, goal scorer, clear-cut opportunity. But they were defending very, very well. They were compact and were frustrating Switzerland. And the longer a game like that sort of goes on at nil-nil, the longer Switzerland would have, you know, they would have got more and more frustrated. And Northern Ireland, with 11 men, will always have a chance. In football, you'll always get a chance. It doesn't matter who the opponent is or what division you're playing in. If you're playing... In football, a team will always get a chance to score, and with eleven men, Northern Ireland certainly would have got a would have had a chance to score. But then, when you have to change the system, when, when Jamal Lewis gets sent off, it's 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 very very hard. Um. So yeah, look, the referee has completely killed the game, not for the first time against Switzerland. Um. So yeah, just a really really frustrating one, and again, a, a referee who. Hasn't done his job properly and on his on his cost Northern Ireland really and you can say okay thirty six minutes and, and Switzerland could have still gone on to win the game it, it's possible and to be honest I think it, Switzerland were, were a very strong team and I think they would have won with if even if it was down to uh, eleven v eleven but I think the referee has just completely killed any chance uh, for Northern Ireland to go and get a result and to do it the way that he has done it's it's just very very frustrating. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people are saying after the game, he was trying to set a precedent of, you know, Northern Ireland and maybe before that been kind of taking their time over throw-ins and stuff. But, you know, he hadn't even gone over and warned them. There was no signs that he was going to brandish the yellow card. And I think he must have kind of realised, you know, halfway out of pulling the card out of his pocket, oh dear, this is the second yellow. But it was too far gone. And as you said, you know, it's another costly decision for Northern Ireland against Switzerland. They've had quite a few of those in the past. And, you know, now the chance of qualifying for the World Cup is basically over. That dream's been killed. But as you said, I, I do kind of think they were quite compact, but I think Switzerland ultimately would have gone on and won the game anyway. But do you think Northern Ireland will be kind of disappointed in the goals that they did concede? You know, the first one, a mix-up between Thompson and Cathcart and then the second one, the breakaway goal, Peacock Farrell maybe could have done a bit better. You know, will Barcliff be frustrated not only at the setting off, but the matter in which Northern Ireland conceded the goals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were two, like you say, there were two pretty poor goals he conceded, um, and both sort of on the breakaway as well. Um, the first one, like you say, Jordan Thompson and Craig Cathcart, just a, a whole lack of communication. Praise the brilliant Bolo, I guess, because he, he does well to actually find Steven Zuber um, with, with, with that pass. But yeah, it was just a lack of communication um, in, in the Northern Ireland sort of defence and Cathcart experienced player he should probably be taking control of that and then the second goal yeah it's, it's another counter attack and I don't mind the second goal as much because you know you're 1-0 down and it was it was at the end of the game so Northern Ireland were just put, pressing and, and pushing forward to, to try to get an equaliser so I understand why the second goal is being, being conceded but what was frustrate if I was Ian Barclough, what would frustrate me more is the timing of the goals um at the end of each half. So is that a, a concentration issue as well? You know, I think I always think before half time is the worst time that you concede. I just think, you know, you go into half time and you're at nil nil, then you've got fifteen minutes to sort of sort out what you need to do. And I just think with conceding at the end of the first half, Ian Barclough had to change basically everything that he was going to say. Um, and I, I just think it was that was the that was the killer for me in that game on, on the struggle half time, and then like the 90th minute it just seals the game um, for, for for Switzerland. Um, and to be honest, I don't. I think if Northern Ireland were still playing now, I still don't think they would have found a way to score. Um, but. The, t- the timing of the goals would have frustrated me more than how they actually came about, but they were preventable goals, absolutely. Yeah, I think Northern Ireland can still take heart from their performance, especially with being down to 10 men, but do you think now they're going to be able to solidify their place in the group? Because it seems, you know, seconds out of reach to have Bulgaria um, on Tuesday night, which recording this before that game, and then in November they finish the campaign Lithuania at home and Italy at home. Do you think there's a real chance, you know, third place looks likely and it would be a success given the two nations above them in the group or, you know, European powerhouses um, at the minute? Yeah, I think I think third place, it's hard to say it's a success. I know that there are two bigger nations, Italy and Switzerland, but ultimately you want to finish in the top two. And I think I think the Switzerland game at home was a big chance missed. Um, you know, nil-nil draw. And on, on paper, that looks a good result. But it's just that lack of Northern Ireland. They don't, don't, we don't have a, 
a natural goal scorer. Like it's the same with all the home all the home nations, to be honest with you. Scotland only England, you would say, with Harry Kane have a real natural goal scorer in that team. With Wales, obviously you've got Gareth Bale, but he's not a number nine. So I I think that that's been a big problem for Northern Ireland, not just for this qualification campaign, but for years. But in these big games, you know, there's moments that a national number nine would come up and and, and probably get you that match winning goal. So if Northern Ireland had that out and out goal score, I know they don't, so it's it's okay saying if if and buts, but I think that big, big game against the big the nil draw with at at Windsor with Switzerland was the big, big opportunity you missed. And I just think if Northern Ireland had that little bit extra cutting edge, they could have got something from that before even going to Switzerland and obviously the game. You know, they needed to get something really, like like we've said, um, on Saturday in Switzerland to have a real, real chance of qualification. Is third base a success? It's hard. It's hard for me to say yes, it is a success because for me, top two, that's the success because you know, obviously, a playoff would have been, would have been a, the minimum that I would have really wanted. Like second place because, like you say, Italy are you know they're European champions, and I always expected them to to win the group. Um, I think Northern Ireland can build on the third place. Um, I certainly, I certainly do. But how many opportunities are Northern Ireland going to miss? Um, obviously, after Euro twenty sixteen, which was a great success, um, got into a World Cup, <laughs> a World Cup playoff against Switzerland, and okay. Again, controversial decision against Switzerland. But even apart from that, did Northern Ireland do enough to win either of those two games? Probably not. Um, the last Euro campaign, again, too many missed opportunities. Um, and then the same in this World Cup qualification campaign, like um, the Drew with Bulgaria and Belfast, which is a poor result, really. So that's a big missed opportunity. 0-0 with Switzerland and Belfast. Switzerland are a good side, but at the home games are the games you need to win. Um, so it's it's hard for me to call it a success, to be honest with you. Um, for me, a success would have been second and on a playoff. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of people now coming on the back of Ian Barclough and kind of you know he's been under pressure since he's got the this job. It seems, but you know, in your opinion, does he have the right to have his contract renewed? Obviously, it's a topical issue at the moment, and as his contract's up for renewal. Do you think he deserves, if not at least the Nations League campaign, which is to come the Euro qualifying campaign as well, considering, you know, the players he's kind of worked with in the under-21s are now only really starting to come through? Yeah, look, definitely. I definitely think that he, he deserves to, to work going into the next campaign. I still think this, I think this campaign's been okay. Like, I, think, I still think third place is okay. I just wouldn't call it a success. I just think it's 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 okay. Um, and yeah, look, like you say, he has worked with the with the twenty one players. Um, Ethan Gilbreth still to come through into the senior squad properly. Um, so yeah, look, he knows the talent is there um, in the younger age group, but I, I don't think he's had enough time to sort of really put a spin on on his own spin on this team at the minute. So. Yeah, look, I definitely think that he deserves the, the the Nations League campaign and the next Euro uh, Euro qualification campaign as well. I think he certainly does. I think he's done a, a, a pretty good job so far. And 
it's hard for any Northern Ireland manager because of the resources that they have to work with. Like we've said, there's not really an out-and-out goal scorer in that team. So, sort of, and then there's players that are not the more experienced players that are sort of coming to the end of, of their careers. I mean, you look at every time Northern Ireland seem to play at the minute, there seems to be a bundle of top of the top talent that always seems to get injured. I mean, Johnny Evans, huge loss, huge, huge loss. And so you're taking an experienced member out of the defence. And Daniel Ballard's came in and he's, he's been brilliant. He's been excellent. But when you lose a player of Johnny Evans' calibre, it's always going to be difficult. Corey Evans as well. So Gavin White tested positive for, for COVID before the, these two games. So, yeah, look, it just seems that I know that there's a saying that you make your own luck, but it seems that when it comes to Northern Ireland squads at the minute, Ian Barraclough has absolutely no luck with them because of injuries and, and other things. And that's the world that we live in at the minute, obviously, you know, with COVID and you can't help that. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that he deserves a chance because, like I say, it just feels that everything is just going against him right now. Yeah. And, Moving on into the domestic game um, and under the women's side of it, Glen Torn won the County Antrim Cup with after a dramatic victory on penalties against Crusaders with the game ending 2-2. How confident are you that they'll go on and win the treble with the cup final to follow on Friday night and just how unstoppable force are, are they? You know, they were 2-1 down with minutes left and Casey Howe produces a stunning finish to bring it to 2-2 and they managed to get through extra time and have the confidence and the composure to win it in penalties. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it showed great character from Glen Torn on on Saturday. Like you say, 2-1 down until the last minute. And that's what the best teams do. The best teams will always sort of find a way to, you know, to to go and win games. And that's exactly what Glen Torn did ultimately at the end, even if it was via penalty shootout. But like you say, They've just got this incredible character and and mentality to to do it. And you, you thought, okay, Crusaders have, have shocked them, and and they've got their hands in the cup. And then look, it's a moment of brilliance from from Casey High. The, the spin, and if anybody hasn't seen, haven't hasn't watched this goal, I would advise you to to go on to watch it because it's just an incredible finish. She spins on the edge of the box and and hits it in the volley into the into the roof of the net. It's a, it's it's, a, it's an incredible goal, but. I fancy Glen Torn. To, I think they will go to win the treble. I really do. Um, and I just again. So um, I think they will win on Friday, and I think they'll make it more comfortable than, than what it was last Saturday. I think they'll, they'll come out with sort of more more fire in their belly and a bit more of a creative spark. Um, and I think I I don't think they'll dismantle Crusaders. I think that's a bad word. I think that's that's a wrong terminology. But I, I think I just think they'll make it more comfortable uh, for themselves. I think we have like I mean Simon Swift speak Glentor in this season, so they certainly are stoppable. But if you look at their squad, they've got so many North Harland internationals in there, like Lauren Wade, Chloe McCarran, you know Nadine Caldwell. So. They're all top class players, um, and they've got so many Northern Ireland internationals at the minute. So, and a North, and not just Northern Ireland internationals, Northern Ireland internationals who have qualified for a major tournament. So, they've clearly got a lot of quality. Um, and not only that, 
they're playing with so much confidence at the minute, so they're always going to be hard to stop. I just think Glenn Torrin, I think with those players in the team, I still think Glenn Torrin will continue to dominate Northern Irish women's football. I mean, Clevenville came close this year, and again, Clevenville brought in their own players, Northern Internationals as well, who improved the squad massively. You know, Louise McDaniel, Caitlin McGuinness, Kirsty McGuinness, all incredible players. Uh, Kelsey Burrows as well. But in those big games this season, Glenn Torn just had the mentality to carry out their job and win the games. So, yeah, I think Glenn Torn will do the treble again. Um, I think they're stoppable, but it's just... It's it's just, it's a hard it's a really really hard one because I think they are stoppable but it's just the other teams sort of I think the difference is mentality and winning mentality I just think Glen Torn they're like this machine but I think if you get at them and you press them high up the pitch you, you can worry them and Crusaders had them I mean they were one minute away from winning a cup on 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 Saturday Crusaders so they have weaknesses as well Glen Torn but it's just about how you carry the job out and, and how you sort of exploit them. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it was Ashley McKinnon was the hero and saving two penalties in the shootout. And, you know, it hasn't been an easy season for her, kind of been in and out of the team with Jackie Burns returning from America. But, you know, I'm sure she was just buzzing to make those saves. And, you know, if Carrie Beatty's stepping up to take your last penalty, you know, you're in safe hands, yeah. composed finish. And as you said, the quality throughout the team, I think it will also carry them through. But it was really interesting to see Crusaders push them really hard. And, you know, there has been quite a few occasions this season where, you know, Cliftonville in the two encounters they had with them, the one at the Oval and the one at Solitude where they did beat them, they've pressed them hard. So it does kind of show us, although you've said they're really hard to beat, it is possible. So it sets up for another interesting one on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it does. And um, that's a player that we haven't mentioned yet. Is Kerry, well, you have, it's Kerry Beatty. I mean, I, I was really, really impressed with her when Northern Ireland played Latvia at Windsor Park. I thought she was super, so much energy. Um, and that's another player, another Northern Ireland international that has the quality to to change a game. I mean, I think she was top goal scorer in the league this year. Um, and such a young player, so much potential. Um, her runs in behind, they're just, they're just quality. She's got so much pace, but she uses her pace really well because she has the intelligence to... She knows exactly where to be at the right time. So that's another bright player for the future. So, yeah, look, Glenn Torn, they have the individual quality, but they're, they're such a, a tight unit as a team as well, which which obviously helps. And, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to Friday night. So um, I think I think it's going to be a, a very good encounter. But I do fancy Glenn Torn to, to go and win the treble. Yeah, and just moving on briefly to the Irish Premiership, there's only three games this weekend because of international call-ups. Um, probably the big standout result was Linfield's 4-0 win over Carrick. You know, it was a typical ruthless performance from David Healy's men. You know, are they kind of starting to hit top gear, dismantling the Carrick side, who, you know, had made a good start this season and are quite, you know, normally quite solid defensively. Do you think this is Linfield kind of going on a run now, you know, and they'll be up there, they do what they always do, just kind of ground out results and sometimes have those big wins over the smaller teams at home that really propel them up the table and, you know, do another league title. Yeah, I was at Windsor Park on, on Saturday and I'm going to be honest, I didn't think 4-0 was sort of a scoreline that really reflected the game. I think there was the crazy spell in the first half when Linfield 
you know, the, they were four, like they scored four goals in, in quick succession. And I didn't think Carrick were all that. The, the first 20 minutes, I thought Carrick were in, in the game. You know, they battled really, really well. And then Christy Manzinga scores the first goal off a free kick. Cross comes in and Manzinga's at the back post and he heads it in. And that was one thing that Carrick really struggled with on Saturday. Cross balls into the box. They were quite poor at defending them. But Linfield, I thought Chris Shields was immense as well, but I didn't think Linfield were actually all that impressive. And that sounds really strange because the 1-4-0. I think Linfield, the big problem in Linfield this year will be consistency. I mean, had a great result at the Oval against Glentoran. And then Drew won one at Windsor Park with Cliftonville, which was a great result for Cliftonville as well. But the only thing that would really... I think Manzinga has had a really good start and Matt Green has chipped in with a few goals, but I would fear sort of for Linfield if one of those two got injured because they've only got then that one striking option. And, you know, I don't think to have that sort of enough firepower as a number nine to to go on. I still do think... I always say it, I say it every season, but if you finish above Linfield, you win the league. But they haven't impressed me really all that much this season so far. And it's it's a sign of a good team when, you know, you haven't probably been at your best, but you're still winning games of football, which says a lot, and that's why they are champions. Um, but I don't really know about Linfield. Like, like you say, hitting top form. Uh, they're, they're very inconsistent. And that would be the only thing that would sort of worry me if I was an Linfield fan. And... Like I say, I think 4-0 on Saturday really, really did flatter them. Yeah, and the other game that was on on Saturday was Crusaders beating Balamina. They're up to fifth now on the table, but Balamina have really struggled so far this season. Just four points from seven games, you know, obviously having yeah. somebody like David Jeffrey at the helm, they're going to get out of this situation, but how bad has it been for them so far? They've really struggled in the absence of a striker up front. Yeah, I think the summer recruitment was a big, big problem for Balamina this season. Um I think obviously when you lose someone like Shane McCartan, it's always a blow. But I just didn't think Balamina recruited all that well this summer, um, to be honest. And Crusaders have surprised me as well with their start. I mean, I've been like, obviously they got beat by Coleraine and Seaview um, last Monday. But I don't know. They've had a really good start, so that I expected Crusaders to go and win that game. But yeah, like you say, Balamina, they've been very poor, but I think a lot of that comes down to the recruitment this summer and just their strength and depth throughout the squad. And I think Crusaders, I don't, I think Crusaders were quite smart in this, this summer and who they brought in. Nobody really expected those players who they brought in to work, but they have, and you know. They've adapted well to the system that Stephen Baxter wants them to play. So I wasn't surprised that Crusaders went on to win that game. And they've sort of been a, a sort of a, a surprise package for me this season. You know, they've already beaten Glen Torn. They've already beaten Larn. And obviously they drew 1-1 with Cliftonville. And they were, again, they were a minute away from beating, beating the league leaders Cliftonville as well until Daniel Gurton swapped up. So... Yeah, um, they've sort of been a surprise package this season for me so far. Crusaders, I thought they'd struggle a little bit more. 
but yeah, I wasn't surprised that Lamenta Balamina on one. And I think the only thing that I would say is I think they would be disappointed that it was it was only one nil, and it wasn't sort of a more convincing scoreline. But as we always say, three points is three points. Yeah, and you know, it promises to be another exciting weekend this week looking at the fixtures. But I think that's all we have time for at the minute. Thanks so much for coming on, Josh. And I'm sure we'll talk to you in the future because it's going to be an exciting title race this year in the Irish Premiership. No worries. Thank you as ever for having me on. Here's your roundup of some local sport which you may have missed at the weekend. We start with rugby, and Ulster maintained their perfect start to the United Rugby Championship with a third straight bonus point win as they defeated Benetton 28-8 to end the Wayside's own winning streak. Craig Gilroy put Ulster ahead before Academy graduate Nathan Doak continued his impressive start to the season by adding a second try swiftly after. Rob Herring marked his 200th appearance for the province side when he crossed before the break, with Doak scoring the all-important fourth in the 78th minute to help Ulster move to 15 points after three games. To ice hockey and the Belfast Shands are under the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup following a 6-2 win over Five Flowers at the SSE Arena at the weekend. They defeated their opponents 2-0 and 5 on Friday before following that up with a commanding win in Belfast on Saturday. Scott Conway scored twice with JJ Pacine, Griffin Reinhardt, Jordan Boucher and Kieran Long also getting on the score sheet to secure the win for Adam Keefe's side who were able to give home debuts to 17-year-old academy prospects Kel Beatty and Max Stewart in this game. The Giants begin the defence of their elite league title next weekend as they take on Cardiff Devils and Coventry Blaze. Finally, the GAA and All-Ireland winners Throne have received 15 nominations for this year's Football All-Stars. Cathal McShane, who scored an important goal in the final, is among the nominations despite not starting an All-Ireland game for the Red Hands. He joins teammates Nal Morgan, Patrick Hempsey, Peter Hart, Michael McKernan, Ronan McNamee, Kieran McGeary, Connor Myler, Frank Burns, Brian Kennedy, Con Kilpatrick, Matty Donnelly, Connor McKenna, Nal Sludden, and Darren McCurry on the shortlist. Duo McCurry and Myler are also nominated for Player of the Year alongside Mayo's Lee Keegan, with Dara Canavan up for Young Player of the Year. There are a total of 11 counties represented in the nominations, with 8 for defeated All-Ireland finalist Mayo, 7 for Kerry and 5 for Dublin. That's all we have time for in this week's episode of The Sporty Scoop. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye bye.